And thank you. I, I just want to encourage you. I don't know if, I hope you don't watch me while you're in worship, but I grab my Bible often when we're singing because I see we're singing things from Scripture. And I want to go and refresh my memory of where that's at and what it is we're saying. And this morning we were, we were saying things that led me to the book of Revelation, Psalm 48, Psalm 150. Um, what else was I in? Uh, it was three or four different places that I found myself going and refreshing, saying this is what we're singing. This is what we're singing about right here. It's right out of the Word. Uh, you know, when we sing, how great is God, you know, how great you are, I think of Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. And how that, it's speaking of Mount Zion, that city and that hill in Jerusalem where the temple was. And how that God rules from the sides of the north. And speaking of the temple place in the city. And that God reigned over his people. And it was a, it was a rejoicing, thrilling moment. I was reading Psalm 47, where it's one of those scriptures that talks about clapping. It says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Just across the page, of course, from Psalm 48. So I saw that, and I realized that Psalm 47 was adopted by the Jewish people as kind of a New Year's theme. Because it was to clap your hands meant to declare victory. At the same time, it's like, yes! It wasn't just applauding. It was Clapping and just you ever shoot a cat or dog out of your yard like that? It's the same kind of thing that God would give strength and victory in the new year as we would clap and God would give us victory over our enemies. There's a lot that happens when we're singing. And it's more than just hitting the notes or missing them, as some of you do. Either one. It's up to you. But uh, don't miss what's happening when we're, when we're doing more than singing. If we're worshiping and we're singing back to him, we're phrasing back to him portions of scripture. And we're bringing the word to life and we're making those. When we were singing, um, let the river flow, for example, I went to John chapter 7. And that really is part of the message this morning. John chapter 7 says that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I heard in that song, can we, is it possible to put the words of that song up? Because I'll forget them and mess them up. But let the river flow. These are declarations, you see. Let the poor man say, I am rich in him. This is an agreement with scripture. This is saying, I agree by faith with what God says about me. The world says I'm poor, but oh, I am rich in him. This is part of the river that's flowing out. This is part of the deposit of God that comes in our spirit, man. And when we let the river flow, uh, we're, that river has to come from deep within. Bubbles up by the, by the emphasis and the strength of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the declarations of our mouth come into alignment with his word and his will. So the poor man says, hey, I am rich in him. The blind man says, I can see again. Right? The deaf, I can hear. The lame, I can walk. And this is the river that should be coming, flowing out of our mouths. This is the words of life. Your Holy Spirit-filled life becomes a declaration of truth. And God is the one who calls things that aren't as though they are. Right? He declares and things happen. And we in agreement with Him, I'm not saying we're... We are God-like. Yes, we are Christ-like, as we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But when we speak, we should be speaking in agreement with Him so that what He wants to have happen will happen. Mm-hmm. 
So, all that can happen while you're singing these songs. Saying, let the, let the river flow. Lord, let my declarations be in agreement with your word. Don't, don't let me fall to a pitiful life, a mediocre Christianity. Let me read to you what, what I wrote for myself. And I thought, well, I'm just going to use this as the introduction this morning. When I read the scriptures and the author is with me, in keeping with the promise of Jesus in John 14, 25, 26, and John 16, 13 through 15, he opens my understanding to touch and to grasp and to comprehend the meaning of his writings when the author is with me. My spirit man is enlightened, sometimes in an instant, and then it begins to fade according to my weakness and my lack of spiritual depth. Or, it is sown into the prepared soil of my heart and spirit. The cultivation of the depth where he's going to plant. The cultivation of the depth. Are you seeing the little row in the field where we're digging that out, ready to plant inside? The cultivation of the depth is my responsibility. His responsibility is to broaden my influence as he sees fit to match my depth in him. This is the problem of ministry. And life group leaders, let me give you a caution. Sometimes we tend to think we're going to go and conquer the world. We're going to do great things. And, uh, but we, you know, we could be like a mile wide and an inch deep. And ministry fails. Because there's no depth. And you can't point the finger at God and say, God, you failed. He says, no, no, the depth is your responsibility. How do you prepare the soil? How deep you're ready to receive in me? How applied you are in pursuing me? When you get the depth and I plant, and that brings life, now I can broaden your influence. It's the difference between a garden and a whole field. You could get a little garden ready and feed your family, or you could prepare a field that God could use you to feed the world. Amen? But the depth resides my responsibility. I really do need to apply myself to pursuit of God. I need to apply myself to the reading of his word. I need to, when I read the word, allow him to enlighten me. I love getting revelation, don't you? I mean, sometimes you're just surprised by God. Reading along something you've read a hundred times or fifty times, and then he turns the lights on, and in an instant you go, And then if your depth is weak, it fades. It's like a wisp smoke and you're going, oh no, 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 I want to see Come back. God says, well, if you'll prepare the depth of your heart, if you dig out, do what you can do, when I plant that, it won't fade away. It'll last. become a part of you. The revelation will stay. Getting beyond the, quote, emotional only walk with God. By living in the power of the Holy Spirit's residency in our lives. Thinking higher than survival or just getting by. That forlorn attitude of mediocre existence. I was looking at a song on YouTube. It's Michael W. Smith's song. And I was listening to it. And I looked down, you know, you can comment on YouTube about whether you like something or not, right? If you, if you know what I'm talking about. Here was this comment, and this is what it said. I wrote it down. 
was mistyped and might, might have been a foreigner trying to do English, but it said this, I've never known a man who give his life for a sinner like me, and he have forgiven me too many times. And I, I looked at that sentence and I thought, here it is. I'm not going to criticize this person, but listen to it. This person has a kind of a sullen, downcast view of being forgiven only, while limiting God to being just powerful enough to maintain my forgiveness on a temporary basis, but never being big enough to empower me to overcome the grip of sin completely. There's a mediocre, kind of forlorn sullenness that can come in the emotional-only relationship with God. It's like, well, God, you've forgiven me so many times, you really shouldn't have, and I'm really not that good. And, and the, the, the view starts getting lower and lower. That's what I mean when I say downcast. The psalmist writes and says, Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Right? That's the... We need to kind of, as we find ourselves getting down about ourselves, we need to glance off of the earth like a rock on a pond or, and skip up and say, No, I'm going to look up. Because I know there's no hope in me. I know I don't have what it takes. If I had what it takes, I wouldn't need God. If I had what it takes, I could save myself. Right? I wouldn't even call on Him. I'd just say, hey, you need me. But we know that's not true. But I want to move past, I want us, I want everybody to move past this kind of emotional only soulishness is what I call it. It's a soulish walk. It makes me feel good or it makes me feel bad. And forgive me, um, Jim Dennis isn't here, so I'm not in trouble. But, you know, because he says there's only two kinds of music, country and western. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I typically pick on country and western because a lot of it is soulish design. You know, it's that moody kind of what went wrong and... Some of it's funny. You know, like the guy that sings, my wife said if I ever went, you know, fishing again, she'd leave me. And he says, boy, I'm sure going to miss her. You know, stuff like that. You know, it's real kind of earthy, earthy. And it touches the soul part of us, doesn't it? You know, we, it's easy to cry. Listen to that stuff. And I, I like this joke, too, because you remember backward masking, how people were talking about playing the record backwards. And some of you go, what's a record? You know, I'm sorry. But it's kind of made out of black stuff. Has a little, it's about this big. You know, I know some of you have never seen them. But, you know, you, with the country western, you play it backwards, you know what happens? The guy gets his dog back, gets his house back, gets his, dog back, gets his truck back, you know. Anyway. But, but I wrote down, you know, we, we need to think higher than just survival. I'm just getting by. I meet people, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm hanging in there. I usually say, well, have you got one hand on the bar or two if you're just hanging in there, you know? What, is it, what does it look like? What are you telling me? Are you telling me your Savior's not big enough? You're telling me your God's too small? And it just makes me shake inside to think that God has put us in a position to, where He allows us to size Him up. And shape him. 
One of the accusations of God against his people Israel says, here's the problem with you. You all together thought I was like you. God is one who made man in his image. And then man turns around in that same creative ability and tries to create God in our image. We have to let go of that and say, I need to think higher thoughts. I need to understand he's bigger. He's greater. He's able. I'm not. That's good. I can trust him. I have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency might be of God, not of me. Right? He can do this. How do we move beyond soulish to spirit-filled living? Moving from the lower self-based declarations to the higher declarations of agreement with God's view delivered to us in Scripture. And those words we just had up on the wall or were just a part of that for me this morning. I said, yes, there it is. Let the poor man say, I am rich in him. Not just rich, rich in him. And riches are way different than money. It can be included. I'm not against it. You know, thick and thin, I like thick. What's God's ultimate goal for us? What is, that's a big question, isn't it? Like I'm going to give you the answer this morning. You know, what, what is the outcome that he desires? I believe it's at least one of them, and a large one is this. He wants to reproduce Christ in us. When, I think it was in Galatians, Paul said, we are God's, in the Amphite says God's, we are his hand-picked ambassadors. We are his representatives in the earth. How are people going to know Jesus is alive? Because they have to see him in us. And uh, Pastor Floyd says this to me a lot, and I appreciate it. He says, you know, we are his representatives. Break it down, it means we are his representers. We represent him all the time. Not just represent, but represent Christ everywhere we go. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24, this is the New King James Version. It says, I'm, Paul's writing, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and then he declares it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. God called me to be a steward of the ministry to the body of Christ. 
to bring every person along to perfectness. That means to complete maturity. It's a, it's a Greek word that means there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. It's a process that moves from start to finish, bringing us to maturity. Bringing us to, when it says perfection, it's a different meaning than we would, you know, perfect is perfect to us. It's like, oh, the best. Perfect in the Greek language meant it's a process of becoming mature and complete. It doesn't mean you're all the way done forever and never a change to be made again because you're perfect. Uh-oh, Jim Dennis is here. I was just talking about country and western music. And my, my, what I'm laboring for, Paul says, is to bring everybody along to that mature place where they're done enough to be Christ-like. And the, the mystery, the glory, is this. Christ in you. That's God's goal. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Look in Galatians chapter 4. And uh, I didn't, Jim, you know, fills the whole door, so Maria's here too. (laughs) When I first looked up, the whole door was just Jim. So praise the Lord, Jim and Maria. Good morning. Galatians chapter 4. And if you want, you could put that diagram up there anytime. Some people actually may want to draw a picture of it. It's, this is my creative side. <laughs> Sorry. An artist I am not. Galatians 4.19. My little children... For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. The apostles writing to his friends in Galatia, all the churches. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again. Until Christ is formed in you. Formed. Morpho. It's an external form, an outward appearance. A change in character that occurs in us that helps us to become conformed to the character of Christ in actuality, not in just the way we look. You know, we're so varied, we're so different. We go around the world, there's all kinds of views of what, what a Christian is externally. And then you meet people, sometimes you wonder, is that or is that not a Christian? You wonder. But if you get with them and begin to talk, have you ever had this happen? I'm sure you have. You begin to talk with somebody and you realize this person is a believer. I just, the Spirit bears witness between us that we're both his child. It happens, doesn't it? But from the external, you can't really tell. You know, Christians... I mean, look at all the ties in the room today. All the guys are wearing ties. Can you see them? No. We used to think that you had to wear a tie to be holy. You know, (laughs) to be in church, you're supposed to dress up and wear a tie. Right? And then it got to be where I was the only tie in the building. And everybody knew I was the pastor. (laughs) And I thought, well, this is what we have today. I'm, I'm... 
I'm being conformed to us. I still like to wear ties. I just like to wear part of my outfit. But a tie doesn't make you holy. And it's not the entrance to heaven. Right? So the external conformity is hard to recognize when you're talking about Jesus being alive in someone. Now there are some external appearances that when you look at them you would automatically say that is not a believer. Right? Because it smacks of everything that does not say Jesus. That's easy to tell. But you get in a group of people in a setting that's not church or worship related and you have to wonder who is and who isn't. But if you can begin to speak with people and share life together in the moment, whatever it is, be it a luncheon or concert or movie or wherever you're at, a mall or out in some skating rink, as soon as it starts, you go, ah, the Spirit bears witness. We're Christians. Your language betrays you. Your attitude bespeaks Christ. Paul says, I'm laboring like a woman at birth for my children. I want to birth you into this moment where Christ is formed in you. In Romans chapter 8, we sang this, I asked Gary to sing the song that he led this morning to start. Using these three words, formed, conformed, and transformed. We're using those words this morning. Paul says, I want Christ to be formed in you again. Romans 8.29 For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, Who can be against us? Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. It's another uh, movement in the Greek from morpho to sum morpho, which means to be changed, to be like another, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be changed, to become like him. Paul says, I want Christ to be formed in you again. In you, not externally. The external will do its thing in response to what's happening inside. The tree, when it draws life out of the ground in the spring, puts out its, its uh, branches, and out comes the new shoots, the new fruit, the new buds. And if there's an old dead leaf hanging there, it gets pushed off. The days of preaching at people and saying, listen, you've got to change the way you live. You've got to quit living like that. I don't like that. Sometimes it's necessary, but we're just aiming at the dead leaves on the tree. I mean, if we were sharpshooters, maybe we could sit back and pick off all the dead leaves off their limbs, but they wouldn't be living any better. As believers, we need to stress and pray, God, form form Jesus in them. Let the life of Christ flow up inside of them. That stuff will drop off. It doesn't have a chance against the life of Christ. But if we're trying to have the life of Jesus and maintain our dead leaves, that's a sick tree. Right? 
So we either work and preach towards people and tell people you got to change, you got to kind of shape yourself up so you can look like Jesus. Say, what chance do I have of pulling that off? Zero. But if I say, Lord, I'm unable, I'm incapable, I'm weak, I'm frail, I am the vessel that's broken and chipped and messed up. But the excellency could come from you. And I could have this in my earthen vessel and as the life of Jesus flows up through me, the rest of it's just going to, doesn't have a chance. You know, the days of trying to quit things could be made very easy. If I'm so engrossed in the life of Jesus, if God be for me, who can be against me? His, 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 Desire is that we be conformed to the image of his son. We just turn a couple of chapters to chapter 12. This is very familiar to us. I want to tie in this other word. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Come on. It's reasonable. And don't be conformed to this world. Supposed to be conformed to the image of the Son. Don't be conformed to this world. And the world is the word aeon, time, a period, not a globe. It's the order of the day. It's the teaching and the, the schematic and the design that the enemies put in place and the world decides that everybody should live like. It's the effects of advertising, if you will, on us. It's what we see telling us to live certain ways and conform to it if you do that you'll be acceptable in culture Paul says hey don't be conformed to all that but be transformed metamorpho for ao to go through you know repentance is metanoia which means to change your mind Literally, it means to change your mind, change the way you think. So when you repent, you agree with God and your thinking changes. No longer do you protect your sinfulness and say, this is me, this is how I live. You recognize and you acknowledge and you agree with God and say, God, I am a sinner. I have offended you. I am your enemy. I'm the one that you had to die for at the cross because my sin put you there. If anybody drove the nails in your hands and feet, it was me. If anybody plunged the crown of thorns on your brow, it was me. It was my sinfulness. It was my waywardness. But you created me to be with you. And so I repent of my ways and I accept yours. And metanoia takes a change of mind. We all need to do that, don't we? The whole world needs to do that. All our friends, all our relatives need to do this. They need to come to the place where they see Jesus has died for them and is their Savior. And they need to change their mind about Him. And believe me, if they get that metanoia, change of mind, repentance going, their heart will follow. It's more than a decision. It's a life change. It's a transformation. And this says, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. Metamorpho. Go through the change of conformation. Go through the change that makes you like Christ. 
be transformed. How does it happen? By the renewing of your mind. That's what it says. Verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A footnote from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament by Kittle. If you're familiar with who that is. If you're not, it's no big deal. It says, The change into the likeness of Christ, metamorpho, is a reattainment. <coughs> Listen to this. It is a reattainment of the divine likeness of man at creation. All Christians participate in the miracle of transformation. Above all, what Paul means by transformation is a process by which the transcendent eschatological reality of salvation works determinatively in the earthly lives of Christians. Now, I know you caught all that. (laughs) Kittle's no wimp when it comes to writing. Let me slow it down because he says something incredibly powerful. All Christians participate in the miracle of transformation. Above all, what Paul means by transformation is a process. Okay? A process. It can be a long time, it can be a short time, but it's still a process. A process by which the transcendent, what does that mean? It reaches all the way over everything. Transcendent, right? Eschatological. What does that mean? Eschatology is the study of final things. How everything ends up at the last. The second coming, the right through judgments. How does it all come out in the end? Eschatology is the study of final things. Okay? Is a process by which the transcendent or the overarching study and understanding of how everything ends up. It's the reality of salvation that works determinatively in the earthly lives of Christians. This overarching plan of God working on a daily basis in your life and mine. That's all it says. And by that day-to-day working, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, salvation comes when you repent. It's like that. Jesus saves you. Forgives your sins, makes you a new person. Says, now you can live for me and I'll empower you. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That is going to be me living in you. And some didn't catch this last, last time I said it, so let me give the whole story about the little guy that went to the doctor and was sitting on the, the little exam table. And the doctor puts in his thing, he's listening around, he goes, oh. And he takes it and lets the little guy hear his heart. He goes, he goes, uh, is that Barney in there? He says, no, no, no. That's Jesus walking around in there. Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> That's the whole story. Okay. Jesus comes to live within us by the, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. The life of Christ comes in us. And by the determinate work of God, according to his transcendent eschatology, it works on us day by day to renew our thinking, to renew what we understand, to know what we believe, and to begin to let the river flow. And the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, 
are acceptable in his sight and in agreement with what he says about us. I'm no longer a loser. I'm no longer thrown off. I'm not a castaway. I'm redeemed. I'm precious. God loves me. God, the creator of everything, put his finger on me and said, I love you and I want you for my own. How does that not make me ultimately important? How doesn't that help me stand up straighter? You know? And when I'm in a group of people, I'm not the lowest of the low. I'm exalted. He said in Deuteronomy 28, he's going to make me the head, not the tail. He's going to put me above, not below. I like that head, not the tail thing. You know, the lead dog is the only one with a good view. (laughs) Amen? I want to be in the front. I want to see where we're going. I don't want to see this. Above, not <laughs> I'm sorry I take you to these places. <laughs> but I'm really not sorry. I actually like it a lot. <laughs> Pastor Rob's never going to let me preach again, though. <laughs> Are you in the process? Just say yes. Let me help you. This is rhetorical, I understand. But you could say yes. You're in the process. Are you? Trick question. Careful, don't answer too quickly. Are you finished? No. Ah, think about it now. That's a twofold answer. What did Jesus say just before he gave up his last breath? It's finished. I want to cry when this hits me hard. See, he completed it there. When he said it's finished, he's the Son of God. What he says goes. Amen. When he speaks, it happens. There's no ifs or maybes. When he said it's finished, oh, I know we can apply it to all kinds of theological applications. But I look at that and I say, he finished it. I can't do that. And when he says, you're unholy and I agree and I repent of my unholiness. And he says, now here, have my holiness. Paul the Apostle says he imputes. It's an old King James word. eh? He imputes his righteousness to me. That doesn't mean he just overlays me with a good-looking outside so that I kind of look better and righteous. He imputes. He, he calculates. It's, a, it's almost a mathematical term when we say reckon ourselves dead unto sin but alive unto God. That's what happened when we go to the cross and we give him our life. He says, now reckon it this way. Get out your calculator, open your ledger, and put over here in the positive column that you're alive in Christ. Put in the negative column that you're, you're no longer you. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Saint means set apart, consecrated. What does that? The Holy Spirit does that. He puts His blessing on us. He infills us. He says, now you're set apart for God. And you're okay with Him. He looks at you like this. He sees Jesus and then He sees you. And He goes, wow, they are so holy. They're just like Jesus. Look at the righteousness they are. Not that they have. They are. You are righteous. You are holy. It happens that quick at the cross. It is finished. There's no other work that can be done to make it better. It's done. But then I look in the mirror and I go, well, you don't look done. (laughs) What's that? Somebody told me about the guy, comedian. Oh, get her done. 
You know that guy? I don't know that guy. I repeat things that could get me in trouble, I know. It's like learning Spanish words. They go, oh, you should try this word. I go, me cuachalanga. I don't know what that means. Well, I say, I'll just say it in the church because you taught me that. You go, no, 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 say that in the church. <laughs> well, they quit teaching me these words. But I look in the mirror and I say, it doesn't look done. Sometimes I don't feel done. Sometimes I act like it's never been done. Amen? But is it done? Yes. I agree with the cross. I agree with the word of God. I let the river flow. Let the Holy Spirit fill me. Let the living water flow. Let my words and my heart and my mouth and my mind be renewed and come into agreement with what God says and come to the conclusion that I am holy. I am righteous. I have the righteousness of Christ. Oh, I don't depend on myself. No, thank you. I've been there too many times. It fails every time. But if I lean the full weight of my trust into him, this was my prayer to him during the worship service. I said, God, today, teach me again to lean the full weight of my trust into you. Because I can't do this. I fail. And I don't like failing you. I don't like coming up short. I don't want to live anymore in Romans 3.23 where it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I will do that today again, God. Unless you live your life in me. Unless I'm formed. Christ is formed again in me. Unless everything about me is conformed to his image. Unless my mind is transformed and renewed. I don't have a chance. Going backwards, the full circle. And that's what I titled this for myself this morning, the message, full circle. And that's why this is up here. We didn't cover Genesis 1 yet. I'm not even sure that's the right verse. Uh, I, I typed it wrong. It actually should say, why did I put that up there? It's actually Genesis 2. I'm sure glad I took good notes. <laughs> I'd be looking all over the Bible for what I'm trying to say. I should say Genesis 2, colon, 7. And 8. So forgive me. Make that correction. Genesis 2, 7 and 8. Ed, can you manipulate that slide? Could you, yeah. Can you change Genesis one twenty seven to Genesis two seven and eight? Is that possible? Then you'd make me look really good. <laughs> See, there I proved it again. I just can't do this on my own. I need something to come and make me look good. In this case, God has promised me the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the comforter who is just like Jesus, who will fill me, infill me, baptize me, and then flow out of me like a river that gives life. Man, this is good stuff. I think I'm going to go to church here. That guy's not bad, you know. Genesis 2-7, the Lord formed, ooh, there's the word again, formed, uh-huh, formed man of the dust of the ground. Just in case you were thinking a little more highly of yourself than you ought to. 
You're nothing but a dirt clot. That's it. You're there. You're lifeless. You're a mud pit. If it rains, you're in trouble. Formed man of the dust of the ground, and this is where it happens right here. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being more than a dirt cloth. He was now filled and like a baby took his first breath by the impetus of the Holy Spirit. The new, Actually, it's the neshama of God. The breath of God. We took our first breath aided entirely by the Creator. That's worth thinking about, I, I would imagine. That's worth like grabbing a cup of tea and going, wow. We took our first breath only because God aided us in doing it. See, the independence and pride of man became, I can breathe without him. Uh-huh. I can think without him. I can act without him. I can do whatever I want. God gave man free will and he used it improperly. He missed the mark. We missed the mark. As a result of the first miss, we're all a bunch of misses. And we continue on a daily basis. Our sin is saying we can do it without God. Whatever it is we're doing, that's the sin. It's pride. I can do it myself. But I can't even breathe unless God aids me. Right? If he decides I don't get another breath, that's the end of me. Right? It's over. I'll just be here. Back to the dirt clot. No life. But God chooses to breathe his life into us. I didn't put this scripture up, but it is so important to this message in John chapter 20. Because we're going to go from that Genesis 2. Change my picture here too. It started there. Genesis 2, 7, 8 where God said, I formed you. It's his purpose, his design, his desire was to form us in his image. And so he did. And then he said, now I'll put my deposit of my life, the pneuma, the spirit of God, the breath of life, and the Shema breathes and we became the living being, just like him. Made in his image. Full of his attributes, his character, his traits. Sin comes in and wrecks the thing. But then Jesus comes and buys us back. And Paul says, I've been given the gospel. The gospel is this. Christ needs to be reformed in you. That's my prayer until it happens. I travail like a birth until Jesus comes out in you. And you need to be conformed to his image. And his predestination, his plan, his design now is from the beginning that you be transformed But it's going to take a little renewing of the way you think. All the battles we really fight are in the mind. That's why Romans 10, 4 and 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing every thought captive to Christ. The battle's in the head. We know it's a spiritual warfare. 
Well, man, when a fiery dart comes zinging in from the enemy, it lodges in your brain. It attacks the mind. The enemy, you know, Tim LaHaye wrote a book, The Battle for the Mind, years ago. Because it's always been this battle for our thinking. And that's where we suffer the most. Because the Word of God simply says, I've got the righteousness of Christ. I'm holy. I'm made in His image. I've been, bought, I've been born again. I've been, I've been born by the Spirit of God. This moment when He breathed life into the dirt clot and became a living person, and we lost it, now we have it back. And Jesus said in John 20 to His disciples... Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, this is after the resurrection. The doors are shut, the disciples are assembled because they're afraid. Jesus comes in the midst and says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side, then his disciples were glad. They saw the Lord. And he says to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Oh, I see it in Genesis And now Jesus is acting just like the Father. He breathes on them. And what does he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. He'd lost them. The breath of life, the pneuma of God, was was vacant from you. Read it, Galatians. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead! Walking around the living dead. Bodies working, souls working. And I can back all this up from the scriptures. It's not hard. The body is the soma. The soul is something else. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it'll, it'll come back in a second, maybe. <laughs> Psyche, you know. But the spirit is the pneuma. We're triune beings. Paul says, but you're dead. You're dead in the spirit department. You've got a soul. You have suke. There it is. It came back. Suke. Soul. Body. Soma. Numa. Spirit. Or made triune. Spirit. Soul. Body. Paul says you're dead. You're vacant in the area of numa. That's the problem. Your trespasses and your sin keeps you dead. Jesus says to Nicodemus chapter 3, you must be born again. How? By the Spirit. You can't be born again on your own. You have to be born again by the Spirit of God. The pneuma has to return. The pneuma has to come to who you are in soul and body. And the Spirit of God has to be breathed upon you again. And out of that comes a brand new person. That's why old things are passed away and all things become new. And all things are of God. My DNA has changed. The way I'm going to live has changed. My language is going to change. My whole life is going to change. I'm now adopted into the family of God. Everything's going to change. But my mind's got to catch up because I've had a few years in the world. And I think wrong. So Paul says, yes, but the transformation will come by the renewing of your mind. You can live it in the present. It's done. Count on it by faith. Grasp it and agree with God in your language. Just make yourself align with the Word of God. Say, we don't talk like that anymore. We talk like this. Be schizophrenic if you have to. 
Point to the person in the mirror and say, listen to me. I'm telling you, you don't talk like that no more. I remember the first time I sweared. Swore? Sweared? Whatever. Cussed. After I got saved. Because it was just part of the vocabulary, right? I mean, just, why change the vocabulary? I had a limited vocabulary. Mostly four-letter words. Stuff like golf. Ah, I fooled you. <laughs> anyway. But I, I, it was like I saw this word come out of my mouth in slow motion. And as I did it, it was so evil looking. It was so bad. And I thought, that came out of me. It sort of drifted out in front of me. And I wanted with everything I could to grasp it somehow. And, and I really didn't want it, but I thought the only place to put it would be to re-swallow it. You know? <clears throat> You know, that idea of taking your words back. But it was too late. It was out. But my spirit man said, yeah, we don't do that much anymore, do we? I said, no, we don't. That doesn't fit with who we are. That's not consistent with the person of God alive in me now. But I didn't know it. So what happened? My mind was renewed. Transformation began to take place on that one simple point. We just don't need to talk like that anymore. It's offensive to God. It's offensive to people. Our vocabulary just got a, got an upgrade. And I rarely say golf anymore. <laughs> receive. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Pastor Rob started a series on the Holy Spirit. This is my approach to keeping that series going. full circle. It started with God breathing life into man. It comes back to redeeming us and saying ooh, let Jesus be formed in you. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Let the transformation occur in your mind. Begin to agree and speak with what God says about you according to his word. And as it happens how is it going to really happen for us? By Jesus saying you're born again by the Holy Spirit. You're regenerated by the power of God. I breathe on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Why would we not want the Holy Spirit? He's our only hope. He is the presence of Jesus. He is the gesturing because Jesus said, i got to go away. But if I go away, it's expedient. It's necessary that I go away. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I do go, I'll send him back. Acts chapter 2. Two, Peter's preaching. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has just occurred. They're all speaking in tongues. And there was a quote I wanted to bring about how nervous uh, good social people become when you bring up the idea of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. People get nervous. Like, oh, not that again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're all over. They're pouring into the streets. Nine o'clock in the morning, there's at least 16 languages authenticated by their hearers that these people could no way have learned overnight. And what are they saying in these languages? They're speaking of the excellencies of God. That's the Holy Spirit making that happen. That is the utterance that comes by being infilled by the Spirit. And yes, speaking in tongues. That is glossolalia. Speaking in a language never learned. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have a couple more hours? This is so good. I'm having so much fun. James chapter 2, the tongue is the most unruly part of the body. 
Oh, look how big of a flame that little guy can set up. Uh Uh-huh. Right, he's burned down the whole forest, that little guy. So James says, I think it is so marvelous that in God's economy, he says, well, how will we accomplish this? How will we accomplish the taming of the most unruly part of the body? He says, oh, speaking in tongues ought to do it. The supernatural moment, when I come into that person, I will take control of the one most unruly member and I'll give it an instant language that glorifies me. I'm not, I can't think like God yet, some parts, but that one I work through rather easily. And thought, hey, is it possible he decided that? So that in, the, in an instantaneous example externally of his presence, my most unruly part begins to speak in a language it has never been able to learn, and yet in an instant speaks of the glories of God. Paul said, we respect Paul the Apostle. I do. You know, wrote 13 books in the New Testament. God seems to have counted on him for a few things. I have respect for him. Paul said, hey, when we're assembled together, I'd rather speak five words with the understanding than you know, 10,000 words in tongues. It just makes sense to talk how people can hear us. But he also said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Why would the Apostle Paul brag on something that should never happen for the believer? It doesn't make sense. Why is he boasting in that he speaks in tongues? Paul says, you know, you're going to pray in the Spirit, you're going to pray with your understanding. You're going to sing in the Spirit, and you're going to sing with your understanding. That delineates pretty clearly that there's a moment when what he said is, when I pray in the Spirit, my understanding is unfruitful. I don't even get it. But in the Spirit, I speak mysteries. I'm I'm a proponent for the baptism and the infilling and the constancy of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because if Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, he was taking us back to the original place where that transcendent eschatology by the determinate will of God is to take up his residency in us again and renew us to our original condition of being spirit-filled people living by the life living by the life and the deposit of God in this old dirt clot. I'm excited about this. Can you tell? Does it show at all that my little circle excites me? There's so much more. I mean, it's all in there. When you start seeing it differently, you're reading passages, you go, oh, look at that. that the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the setting apart, the consecration of who I am to God. I, I now become a utensil that's holy in the temple. Like the old tongs at the altar. They were set apart, consecrated, redeemed by the blood under the old covenant. Blood was put on the utensils and then they were set aside and they were called consecrated. You didn't take those things home and use them at your house. They were fully for the use of God. And then God comes and says, by his spirit, he sanctifies and consecrates you and I. He sets us apart. That's why we're called saints. It means set apart. Set and made holy. And now we're for his use only. And where we get in trouble is when we take the holy thing and use it for ourselves. Right? 
that's where we get in trouble. That's where the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, ooh, not that. We don't do that. We don't say that. We don't act like that. And the transformation comes by the renewing of our mind piece by piece by piece until we reach the determinate will of God in Kittle's transcendent eschatology. Let's all vote. Pastor Jeff should finish now. All in favor? You're, you're excused. No. I don't think Pastor Jeff's been doing this today. My prayer, God, I can't do this without you. I can't even understand these things unless you break revelation on my heart mind. I don't get it unless you bring it to life. But I tell you, I feel like I touched on something that maybe I'd never, ever seen before. I kind of knew about it, thought about it, but this is real. And when I said that revelation comes sometimes in an instant, and I realized my responsibility to dig deep, get the furrow ready. God wants to plant something in me, and I need it to really take root. I don't need it to come in a flash and go, oh, I saw it, but it faded, and I can't grasp it because I have no depth. God, take us deeper. Take us, that's my prayer, God, take me deeper. Help me furrow out. Help me get the weeds out and the rocks and the stuff out of the way. And let me get a good furrow here. And then when you bring revelation, let's take that seed, God, and let's plant it. Cover it with good soil and water it with the rain of the Holy Spirit so it grows into a brand new tree of life in me and in you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you know we kind of close our times by coming back to you and talking with you for a moment, thanking you for what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, I'm amazed that I could have lived a day without you. Yet all those years that I lost not knowing you. Thank you for your grace this morning on each one of our lives where we have wandered away from you or drifted apart from you or just didn't surrender. Bring your redeeming work of love upon our hearts and minds. May the truth of the cross be real for us. As we lay our lives at the foot of the cross and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, acknowledging our sinfulness, we pray that you would breathe on us and say to us, Receive the Holy Spirit. That we could stand upright again, this old dirt clod filled with life that is not our own, but comes from you. And as we traverse this earth, wherever we go, I pray that you would make us, after you form Christ in us, bring us into confirmation of who he is transforming our minds that wherever we go, we could really sincerely become representers of you for those around us. God, make us effective. Cover our failures. Remove our sin. Thank you for new life. Cause our words, the attitudes of our heart, the meditations of our heart, the words of our mouth to conform with truth. Let us be spirit-filled and driven along by the wind of the Spirit and help us, as your word says, to keep in step with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you this morning as God. We know you're not just an add-on or a nobody or a mysterious wisp or a vapor. 
you are God and you are almighty God. And you have decided under the direction of the Father and the sending and the baptizing of Jesus, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, you have come to dwell within us. May we open our hearts and our spirit man to receive you. And I pray that by the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit, you would give us that gift. Speaking in tongues, operation of the twelve or the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, of the fruit and the nature and the character of your Spirit in us, found in Galatians chapter 5, that we would have all the attributes and operations of your presence in us. And may we never shy away from it. Pray these things in Jesus' name this morning. And I thank you, God. I thank you for this great privilege you've given us this morning. May you be blessed and honored all day long, all week long. Multiply our effectiveness in Jesus' name. Thank you. If you need prayer for anything, you know, we believe in prayer. We pray with you. Life group leaders are here. Others are here. If you need prayer for anything or want somebody to talk to, please come. Let's do that. Love one another. Don't go out without Jesus.